Turn, if you would, this morning, please, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you do have a plan for each of us, no matter what stage of life we are in. And so we thankful we are thankful this morning for the uh, truth that we were just reminded of in song. I pray that you'd help us now uh, to give attention to your word, God, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts and lives. And I pray that you'd help us, uh, Lord, to take some time this morning to consider what you may have for us from your word today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This week as I was preparing for the message, I did what I try to do each week as we have been in this psalm. I went to the 119th psalm. I looked at the section of scripture that we are at and I began reading over the verses hoping that something would grab my attention, hoping that something would stick out in my mind. And as I came to verse number 133, that is exactly what happened. I read verse number 133, and I thought, I like the wording of that, and I don't know how it always works as to how how the Lord gets my attention with different verses. But as I was thinking about uh, this verse, and as I was letting my mind begin uh, the process of developing thoughts and ideas, my mind went to this question, how could I illustrate the truth that we will be considering in the next few moments? And so this morning I'd like to share a quick story with you, and some of you may be able to identify with this, others of you may not be able to. I think most of you know that I have one sibling, and that is my older brother. My brother is almost four years older than me, and growing up, we had a fairly typical relationship between brothers. Since I was the younger brother, I idolized my brother. I was impressed with my brother. I wanted my brother's approval. I wanted his attention. And everything that I wanted from him, he did not give. He did not give me attention. He did not give me approval. He did not give me acceptance. He uh, he treated me as the little brother I was, and so many times uh, there was not a real closeness between us, and there was not a fondness from him toward me. So that made me the little pest. I was the pest of a little brother, and so there were times, and this didn't happen a whole lot because my parents would not have tolerated it, but there were times that because he was sick of me and I was being a pest to him, we would end up wrestling. And because my brother was so much bigger than me at the time and because he was older and because he was stronger, it only took a matter of seconds or moments for him to have me pinned to the ground where I was unable to move. So I would be laying on my back, he would be on top of me, maybe his arm across my chest or whatever it may be, or him just sitting on me with his hands having my arms grabbed around the wrist, and and I was incapable of moving, I was incapable of flailing my body away from him. There was nothing that I was going to be able to do to be set free. And then, for whatever reason, he would do this whenever he had me pinned. He would begin to act like he was going to spit in my face. 
He would see how far he could let the spit come out of his mouth before he would bring it back in. And so I would be laying there on the ground just flailing and and doing everything I could to try to get up. And, And he would not let me up. I was pinned. I was under his control at that moment. And I was miserable. I hated it. Laying there, watching that, looking at you, only to be retracted back into the mouth. And for that to happen on multiple occasions, as as you can do nothing about it, it was a miserable, awful position to find myself in. And so thankfully, I didn't find myself in that position too many times. Now, again, I tell you that for a reason. I hope you'll understand it more in a couple of moments. But look in the last section of verse number 133 this morning. In the last portion of verse number 133, the writer says this, And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Now, I know that most of you know this. I know that most of you are aware of this. But for some who may not be aware of this, for some who may not know this, I want us to consider the word iniquity and what it means. It means this. It means that which is wicked, or you and I might simply refer to that as sin. All right? And so as the writer addresses the subject of iniquity, someone may say, well, that is uh, unrighteousness, it is iniquity, or it is sin. And, And as we think about this, there's something else about the word that I want us to understand, and and that is it also indicates a sense of trouble or a sense of sorrow. Okay, so as the writer talks about iniquity, as he talks about sin, he indicates with the usage of his words that sin brings about trouble and sin brings about sorrow. Now, I don't know if you were like me, but for myself, here's what I would say. I would say that I wholeheartedly agree with the idea that sin brings about trouble and sin brings about sorrow. Would you agree with that? That sin brings about trouble and sin brings about sorrow. Whether it be iniquity or wickedness, however you'd like to refer to it as, it always brings about trouble and it always brings about sorrow. Now, as I think about that, here's what I also have to admit of myself. This may not be true of you, but I would admit this of myself. That in my mind, I have certain sins that qualify for that which brings about trouble or sorrow. Here's what I mean by that. Whenever I see a rebel, you know what I think to myself? I think to myself, sir or ma'am, young man or young woman, you are making your life miserable. Your rebellious attitude, your rebellious spirit, your defiant attitude, your defiant spirit, you are making your life miserable. Now, here's the problem with most rebels. Most rebels see no connection between their rebellion and the miserable condition they are living in. 
They don't see any connection between the two. They think that they are miserable and they think that there is trouble in their life. They think there is sorrow in their life for other reasons. They don't see the connection between their rebellion or their sin and the trouble that they are dealing with. But I look at a rebel and I say, you know, based upon your rebellious spirit, based upon your rebellious attitude, you are making your life miserable. And you this morning would agree with me, I would assume. I look at someone like this, someone who would be strung out on drugs, and it would be obvious to me that they are making their lives troublesome and they are making their lives sorrowful. You you never see anyone addicted to drugs who is enjoying life and happy and just carefree and living it up. Someone who is addicted to drugs is someone who is running their life, someone who is making themselves miserable. I would look at someone like this, the one who is immoral. It seems fun for a season. It seems enjoyable for a time. But the immoral person is always going to have a miserable existence at some point. It's never forever fun. You look at the one who is spiritually lazy. The one who has no spiritual drive. The one who has no spiritual ambition. And here is what I say to myself. I say that there is a reason why you are miserable. There is a reason why your life is filled with trouble and your life is filled with sorrow. It is because of your spiritual laziness. It is because of your spiritual inactivity. There is a connection that so many times the spiritual lazy person does not see. So you talk to them about the spiritual laziness in their life. You talk to them about the the lack of activity in their spiritual life and how that is producing the sorrow in their life, how it is producing the troubles in their life, the problems in their life. And here's what they would say. They would say something like this. I don't see that to be the case. I I don't believe that to be so. Well, it doesn't matter because here is the truth. Sin brings about trouble and sin brings about sorrow. And every one of us know this and Every one of us can identify people whose lives are miserable because of the sin in their life. And yet, the Scripture has a way, if we let it and if we allow it, to say, well, what about you? What do you mean? Well, notice he said, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. He did not say, and let not the iniquity or the sin that you think. He said, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Why is that word important? Because any is a pretty inclusive word. Any would indicate all. All sorts, all types, all manners, all fashions. It doesn't matter what the iniquity is. He said, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Now, here's what I want us to think about for just a moment before we move on to the next thought and the next idea. And that is this, is that any sin that anybody allows to be present in their life with no intentions of addressing it and correcting it and getting it removed from their life, that sin is going to cause trouble and sorrow in that person's life. 
See, here's what I do. I look at the rebel and I say, your sin is messing your life up. I look at the one who is spiritually lazy and I say, your sin is messing your life up. I look at the immoral. I look at the one who is addicted and I say, your sin is messing your life up. Even if you don't see the connection between your sin and your sorrow, it doesn't matter. Well, friends, we need to be reminded of this, that it's not just someone else's sin who makes their life miserable. My sin makes me miserable regardless. Regardless of what I think about my sin. So you may sit here this morning and you may say something like this. Well, I don't have the rebellious spirit. I don't have the rebel's attitude. I'm not the one who is immoral. I'm not the one who is addicted to drugs. I'm not the one who is spiritually lazy and spiritually inactive. That is not me. I understand those things may not be true of us, but I just want to remind us this morning that you and I can have other sins in our life. And if we are refusing to address it, if you and I are refusing to deal with it and asking the Lord to remove it from our lives, then those sins are making us miserable whether we see the connection or not. So many times I think this is what happens to Christians. There is sin present and it has been present so long that as the sorrow and the trouble has accompanied it now for so long, we, again, we don't see the connection and we see them as two separate issues. Well, this has nothing to do with this and this has nothing to do with this. Hold on. This is the byproduct of this. My sin or your sin may be completely different, but the sin is still sin and the sin still produces trouble or sorrow in a person's life. Someone says, well, I don't know exactly what you mean. Okay, well, let's think about this for just a moment. You and I may not be, let's just be honest, you and I this morning, we may not be spiritually inactive. But we could, we could be spiritually self-righteous. Well, friends, self-righteousness is a sin. And when you and I are self-righteous and we can see what is wrong in everyone else's life, but we cannot see what is wrong in our own lives, that is sin. We may not be spiritually inactive, but we are so self-righteous that we know everyone else's problems, we just can't identify our own problems. We may not be addicted to drugs, but we may be addicted to gossip. We just have to know the latest scoop on what's going on and what's happening and what's taking place. We may not be addicted to this drug, this drug, this drug, or this drug, but it's amazing how everyone seems to, quote-unquote, come to us, when in fact what it really is is us going to them and stirring up more issues because we have to gossip and we have to talk and we have to discuss and we have to run things by other people, and that is something that we're addicted to. It's a different kind of addiction, but friend, that is a sin that is going to bring with it sorrow and trouble. Someone may not be physically immoral, 
but they are mentally immoral. It's not that they have physically gone through the actions of immorality. It is not as though they have actually followed through with their lustful desires, but they know, if they're honest, what is running through their minds. It is lustful desires. It is things they ought not be contemplating. And friends, that sin of the mind is every bit as damaging and will bring as much sorrow and trouble eventually as the actual act of immorality. Do we understand the importance of the wording here? Whenever he says iniquity, he is not just identifying what you and I consider to be the big sins. It is any iniquity. It is any sin that is out there available to you and I. So notice what his prayer is. He says, And let not any iniquity have dominion. Over me. Lord, I, I don't want any sin or wickedness or iniquity to have dominion over me. Well, what does it mean to have dominion over something? It means this to have the power or mastery over someone or something. See, when me and my brother would wrestle years and years ago, here is what he had on me, though I would have never defined it this way at the time, he had dominion over me. He was able to exercise his power over me. He had the mastery over me. Whenever I was under the weight of his body, when he had his hands wrapped around my wrist above my head, and when he was torturing me the way in which he was torturing me, he was the one who had the power and the mastery over me. Now here is what the writer is saying. He is saying, Lord, I don't want any sin to have power or mastery over my life. I don't want any sin controlling me. I don't want any sin dictating to me what I will or will not do. I do not want sin to have that kind of power in my life. And if we're honest, here's what we know. Sin has that capability. Sin has such power. Sin has such strength that it is able to exercise power and mastery over people. I don't know if this has happened to you, but it happens to me on a regular basis. You talk to people about certain sins. You talk to people about certain struggles they are having. And you hear them say things like this, I just can't seem to get the victory over it. It's something that I've prayed about. It's something that I've, I've dealt with. It's something that I've talked to my spouse about. It's something that I've talked to, to this person about. Trust me, I, I would like to have victory over it, but I just can't. You know why that is? It is because sin is powerful and sin is capable of having the mastery or the authority over us. And the writer says, Lord, I don't want there to be any sin that has authority over me. 
He wouldn't want it to be immorality. He wouldn't want it to be rebellion. He would not want it to be spiritual inactivity. He wouldn't want it to be anything like self-righteousness or or whatever it may be. He says, God, I don't want anything by way of sin to have control over me. Why don't you want sin to have control over you? Because just like when my brother had control over me, again, it is a miserable position to be in. It is miserable to have sin in your life that is dictating to you what you will and will not do, controlling your thoughts, controlling your actions, controlling your words. You and I, we are able to surrender ourselves to the power of sin if it is not our concern to have victory over sin. So here's the prayer of the writer. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Lord, any sin, any wickedness, any unrighteousness, that which would bring about the trouble and the sorrow, God, I don't want any of it to have the power and the mastery over me because it is a miserable position to be in. So as we look in the first part of verse number 133, here's what the writer said. He said, order my steps in thy word. Order my steps in thy word. What is the key to victory over sin? What is the key to being set free from the bondage of sin? What is the key to receiving that that liberation from the power and the mastery of sin? Well, verse 133 would indicate this, that in order to have... Or, or in order for sin to have no dominion over us, our steps have to be ordered according to the Word of God. The Word of God is the only hope that I have in finding victory over the sin that produces misery in my life because of its power and its mastery over me. The Word of God is the only thing that is going to set me free from the bondage and the affliction and the misery of sin. So what does it mean when the writer says, order my steps? Well, there are two thoughts that I want us to think about very quickly. The first thought is this. It means to direct or to guide my steps according to your Word. God, I need you to guide me, and God, I need you to direct me according to the truth of your word. Do we understand this morning that the only way we can have victory over sin in our life is when the word of God, first of all, reveals to us what things in our lives are actually sin. Think about this. If I am unaware of what sin is, I will be unaware of its mastery over me and its consequences in my life. 
See, if I don't know that this is sin, if I don't know that this is wrong, if I don't know that this is wicked, if I don't know that this is unrighteous, if I don't know these things, then I will never realize this sin has mastery over me and it is making my life miserable. Do you know why it's so important to be in the Word? Because among other things, here's what the Word of God will do. It will remind us of sin and it will remind us of righteousness. The Bible will say this is sin and this is righteous. This is unholy. This is holy. The Word of God will remind us. And so if you and I will allow the Word of God to direct us and to guide us, then we will constantly be reminded, okay, this is iniquity and I need to stay away from this. This is sin and I need to stay away from this. And this is right and this is holy and this is pure. And this is what I need to be pursuing. So friends, let me just say this. If you are not one who is in the Word on a regular basis, sin will be present in your life. Get this now, sin will be in your life. It will have mastery over you whether you realize it or not. And you will be miserable though you never make the connection between the two. So you hear people say things like this. I don't think it's a big deal whether or not I'm in the Word. I don't think it really matters much in my spiritual life as to whether or not I'm in the Word. Well, then you have no understanding how the Word orders our steps and guides and directs our steps. You must be in the Word. You must be in the Word. Something else I'd like us to consider is this. is Not only is it necessary and needful for you and I to be in the Word, it is needful and necessary for you and I to be challenged and confronted by the Word through the act of teaching and preaching of God's Word. See, there are so many people who look at church as though it's an optional activity. You know, I don't know that we really need church. I don't know that my family really benefits that much from church. I don't know, you know, what, what really is, is of value to go to the house of God. I don't know why you need to be there every time the church doors are open. Because it is through the preaching of the Word of God that the truths of God's Word are delivered to us. And it is so many times through the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God that I and I know others have had their sins brought to their attention. And they are reminded what I'm doing is wrong and that's not the way my life is supposed to be going. I need to change my direction. But friends, if we're not confronted with the truth of God's Word, we'll not know when we're living in sin. And if we don't know we're living in sin, we'll not even realize that it has mastery over us and the misery it is creating for us. It is so important that we be men and women of the Word. If you've not been in the Word this week, I just want to, just want to share this with you. If you've not been in the Word this week, you have hurt yourself spiritually. If you have gone days this week without being in the Word, you have hurt yourself spiritually. If you look back over the course of the last month and you've not been in the Word faithfully, you're hurting yourself. 
Because you cannot have your steps ordered or directed or, or guided by the Word of God, which reminds you of sin, which helps you to stay away from sin. You cannot, you cannot live the Christian life devoid of the Word of God, void of its influence in your life, and be what you're supposed to be. It's just impossible. You need to be in the words. You need to be challenged by the words. You need to be exposed to the word. You and I need the word of God. But the word of God does not just uh, order our steps by way of direction and guidance. It also means this, to establish or to fix. To establish or to fix. What does that mean? It means this. It's the idea of becoming grounded according to what the Word of God declares. How do I get victory? And how would you get victory over some sin that has dominion or power or mastery over you? Well, first of all, you have to be confronted with the reality of your sin. The Word of God has to be able to show you that what you are doing is sin, whether you think it is or not. But if I don't want that sin to have dominion over me, then I have to get grounded and established and fixed in the Word of God. There has to come a point in my life and there has to come a point in your life where the Word of God is such a part of your life that when Satan would try to sneak that sin into your life, you would recognize it and say, no, the Word of God declares that is wrong. Is this connecting at all? I mean, it's kind of like this. When the self-righteousness begins to creep in, You don't necessarily need a preacher there saying, Now remember, self-righteousness is wrong. We need to be grounded and established and fixed in the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit can bring to our heart and our mind, Hey, listen, that self-righteousness is wrong. And you want to be very careful what you say right now. Because it is so easy to get a very lofty opinion of ourselves. And so let's just use that one for an example for a moment. Okay, the self-righteousness comes in and we want to start talking about how this family's got this problem and they're raising their kids and it's a real mess here. And I'm telling you, if they would just get their act together over here, listen, what we're saying may be right, but the Spirit could be entirely wrong. And if the Spirit is entirely wrong, then that is sin. And that sin is going to have dominion over us and make us miserable even though we don't see the connection between our self-righteousness and the frustrations we're dealing with. The Word of God will help remind us if we are established in it, if we are fixed in it, the Word of God will say, hey, buddy, check your attitude real quick. That's not always easy, is it? The Word of God will remind us of something like this if it is truly established in our lives. Uh, you don't need to be saying that. That's none of your business. 
Oh, I'm just talking to my dear friends. It doesn't matter. It's still gossip. It doesn't matter that you think everyone's coming to you. It's gossip. And, and let me just throw this in real quick. If everyone is coming to you, it's because they feel a liberty to come to you with things that probably ought to go to someone else. See, if we're grounded and if we're established and if we're fixed in the Word of God, we'll have the awareness to say this, you know what, I'm not supposed to be anybody else's water boy in this matter. You know, I don't need to be the one who's sowing the discord among the brethren right now. Hey, if someone comes to me, what I need to do because of what the Word of God says is I need to tell them to take it to the one they have the issue with, not let them come to me and us talk about it, though they never go to the one they have the issue with. See how that works? It's kind of simple, really, if you think about it. But we so many times don't give it the attention it deserves. I don't know if you've ever struggled with a negative attitude or a negative spirit, but uh, the Word of God is really grounded in us and established and fixed in us. The Word of God will help us with our attitude. The, the Word of God will help us remember, hey, I, I need to be careful as to what I'm, I'm thinking here and as to how I'm responding here. I, I, I just need to change what I'm doing and change it immediately, not because the preacher's here telling me to change my attitude and to change my spirit, but I'm doing it because the Word of God has already taught that, and I know what the Word of God is teaching, and, and I want to be obedient so as to not let iniquity have dominion over me. See, the writer just makes this simple statement, this simple prayer, though it is profound. He says, God, I don't want any iniquity. I don't want there to be any sin that has authority and mastery and power over my life. In order for that to be true, God, I need you to order my steps. God, I need you to direct my steps. I need you to guide me. And God, I need you to establish me and to fix me. In your steps. God, that is what I need you to do. Because God, if you don't order my steps, God, if you do not do this according to your word, then here's what will happen. Sin will be present in my life. It will produce trouble and it will produce sorrow because sin will have the dominion that it always seeks to have. Can I ask you something this morning? It's up to you as to how you respond as to whether or not you're honest or as to whether or not you're, you're a bit self-righteous in your response. But I would like to ask you, how, how, how often, when was the last time you stopped and considered, is it possible that there is some sin in my life that I've grown so accustomed and used to that I don't even recognize anymore what it's doing to my personal spiritual life. When was the last time we even thought about that? Self-righteousness, critical, negative, gossip, whatever it may be. I mean, it could be so many things. You understand that, right? probably don't want me to try to list all the sins known to mankind. Okay, so it could be anything, but when was the last time? 
We even gave consideration to the idea that there could be some kind of sin present in our life that has dominion over us and it's making us miserable. Because here's what happens to us, just like it does to the rebel or anyone else. We get to this point, as I said a moment ago, where we see the disconnect between our sin and the frustrations we're dealing with. We think they're two separate issues when, in fact, they are tied together. They are, they are there because of one another. Listen, is there sin in our life that has the mastery over us? If there is, I just want to remind you of this. There's only one thing that will give you the victory over it. And that is you allowing God to order your steps. If you do not allow God to lead and guide and direct and establish and fix your steps, you will not get victory over the sin that has dominion over you. The final question you have to consider is this, is do I even want victory over sin? I believe I could say this with some measure of authority based on observation. I believe that there are many people who call themselves Christians who are comfortable with the sin in their life. They've come to a point where they are comfortable with it. They have come to a point where they are accepting of whatever the consequences are. They've just accepted that as, as their reality. And so they may even admit to the sin being present and the consequence of it, but they're not worried enough about it to change anything. Do we even want the victory over the sin? Or are we happy, so to speak, being pinned on the floor by the sin and all the consequences that come with it? Do we even want victory? God, let not iniquity have dominion over me. So, Lord, I need you to order my steps for the victory to take place. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you'd help every one of us to take a moment and be willing to look at our lives and see if there is any sin there that we've just grown accustomed to, that we've grown comfortable with, or we decided to make the declaration that it wasn't that big of a deal. God, would you help us to remember the word this morning, any iniquity. Lord, it doesn't matter if we think it's a big sin or a little sin. If it is sin, it will be something that causes trouble and something that causes sorrow, and it will have dominion over us, whether we want to admit it or not. So I pray you'd help us today. And I pray that you'd help us to have a desire to have a victory over that sin. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren pledged